flee for it. You see something like that, don't sit there, don't ponder, don't think. You get out of town. Run, run, run. You can't handle it. God. If you have your Bible this morning, we are in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And the Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly with mine, from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice." Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Our Heavenly Father, we once again open your word this morning. Without it, our lives have no direction. They make no sense. We don't know what you have to say. It is through your word, the Bible, that you speak to us. Help us to be good students of it, to daily be in it. And as we take this 30 minutes and we explore the truth that is in it, I hope that our hearts would be open, our ears willing to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us today. Thank you for your protection, your watch care for our ability to navigate in a very difficult world because of the power you have given us as sons and daughters that belong to you. Help us never to forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, we have started talking about, over the last few weeks, the verse, John 10.10, Jesus is speaking, and he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So we started going into this, looking at the things that Satan wants to steal from you. It's just like, as Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan on the Jericho Road, as you travel this road of life in Christ, knowing him as your Savior, do not think for one second that when you trusted Christ, all your problems would be over, nothing bad could happen, you're protected by all things good, and that you just live under this Holy Spirit bubble that protects you. That is not how it works. When you sign up with Jesus Christ, it's the greatest decision you could ever make, but maybe your problems are just beginning. But I want you to know everybody has trouble. Everybody has trouble. Say that with me. Everybody has trouble. Now, would you rather have trouble with Jesus Christ or trouble without him? Because let me tell you something. The world's got trouble. I don't know if you read the papers or not. Riots, mobs, killings, attacks, murders. And all we do, it seems like now, is is, there's no consequences for actions anymore. It's just, as a man, it infuriates me. Used to be we stood for something. Let me tell you something. Our Bible, God's Word, and our Heavenly Father still stands for something. We'll not apologize for right and wrong, black and white. 
It's one of the lies that Satan does on this journey that we are on is he loves to tell us that what we're doing doesn't matter, what you believe is not working, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and you're going with it. Well, you know what? That's a lie. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, but I am not part of the world. I'm part of the God's family. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. But we see what's going on in the world, and they're having trouble. And you know what? There's trouble in this room as well. There is. But by God's grace, hopefully you've signed up with Jesus Christ. You've trusted him as your Savior. And he promised that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So he will... One of the things that Satan is very good at, and Jesus pointed out in John chapter 8, is that he's a liar. Satan is a liar. Say that with me. Satan is a liar. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, he said, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. If you want to know what to believe in life, if Jesus said something about it, find out what he said about it. He speaks very clearly about how evil Satan is and the fact that he lies. And in those lies, he tells us things that can discourage us. And his point, what he is after, is he wants us to lose our faith and trust in God Almighty. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, he walked in. And the first thing, what, <laughs> one thing that, that hurts sometimes is that People will come in, and you'll have a certain idea of someone. and You look at Pastor Sean, and you think, wow, what a great guy. And here he is leading the youth, and, and he's so trim and fit, and he looks so polished. And, you know, so the teens look at him, and they think, wow, you know, here's a guy I can follow. And hopefully that's the case. But someone else will say, oh, wait a minute. I knew Pastor Sean before he came to America, and there's a few things you need to know about him. And usually those are things that are not good, and they want to fill the... Now, there's no truth to this. I, I, I don't know anything. I, from there, it's just an illustration, okay? <laughs> We're not getting ready to vote him out after the service, okay? But that's exactly what Satan did when he walked into the garden, and he told Adam and Eve, oh... I knew God before you did. And he's holding good things back from you. And I want to reveal some of those things to you. And your mind could be so much more open if you just follow this. And he was lying. But you know, I've noticed that some people enjoy believing the lies. Over in the Middle East... The lies that are told about the nation of Israel is absolutely incredible. The hate and the disgust that is constantly pushed about God's people and God's land, the Holy Land. And they can't stand the existence of the Jewish nation. And they keep trying to push the two-party state that the Jews and the Palestinians could live side by side in peace and harmony. And that is a lie right out of the pit of hell. It is not going to work. It never will work. And we have seen that since they, Hamas tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. Right there, the two-state solution is 
dead. It will never work. And for anyone to come along and say, oh, we just have to sing, get together and hug and sing kumbaya, that will never happen. It can't happen. The only time peace will ever come to the Middle East is when Jesus Christ comes back and the Prince of Peace establishes peace. But all of this stuff you read in the papers about all the bad things the Jewish nation is doing is a bunch of hooey. Is that a spiritual term or not? It's just part of the lies that are being spread right now in 2024, and many people are following those things. But if you know God's Word, if you're a student of this book, you would recognize the hate that is being sown. That's the same hate, the same spirit that is going on in the United States of America today when we are trying to sectionalize and divide and black Americans and white Americans and Black History Month and all of those things that are going on. Forget all of that. Let's talk about American history. Let's talk about what this country has been through, where we were and where we are, and erase none of it. Take down no statue that has been put up for a hundred years. All of this stuff that is going on, why? Because Satan hates the truth. And you can't rewrite things when there's rock piles standing there where the ancestors can say, what mean ye by these stones? What mean ye by this statue? They're trying to erase our country. It's a lie right out of the pit of hell. And we could go on and on and on about the lies that are being told. And so... He wants to uproot our faith and trust. Not only does he want to uproot our faith and trust, he also wants to get rid of our peace and joy. And part of the peace and joy that we experience is the comfort of knowing the truth of God's Word and the good things and the promises that we have to look forward to. And we'll talk about hope in a future in another week, but the fact is peace and joy comes from right living with God Almighty. Obeying Him. Loving Him. Him loving you, which that part won't stop. But I'll tell you what, there are decisions that we can make in life that will cut off the blessings from God. God loves you. You are his son and daughter. If you've trusted him as your savior, he wants to bless you. He wants to answer your prayers. He's looking at you and saying, man, I love that Stan Griffin, but right now the way he is living, I cannot bless him. And he's the one stopping the blessings, not God. That's what happens. And that's what happened in our text in Psalm 51 when David writes this and he cries out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. What is the blot out? What is it that needs to be wiped out? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is one of the most disturbing stories in the entire Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the story of a man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the man that walked and talked with the Lord, he was the shepherd of Israel. He just, God loved him, chose him to be the king, and he will always be the king of Israel. He's going to come back and rule and reign again when Christ comes back. The Lord will run everything, but I believe that God will reinstall King David to be the ruler of Israel, that section of the world. It can be argued, but I believe that. 
Now, here's a guy that is a man after God's own heart, wrote a ton of psalms, walked and talked with God. The Lord absolutely loved him. And I'm telling you, he made a horrible choice. 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you want to follow along, I'm going to tell you the story very quickly this morning. And what happened is that, look at, and, and it came to pass, if you're on page 365 in a pew Bible, if you want to follow along with us, and it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Let's stop right here for a second. David's a soldier. He's a warrior. He's probably middle-aged now. I don't know what I think of middle-aged crisis and all those things. And I, I don't know what I think of that. I'm, I've, I've been middle-aged. I think I'm, honest, I'm beyond middle-aged now. Because half, but I have a young wife, so what does that do for me? Just, that makes me feel older. So, but anyway, so at 62, if I was middle-aged, this being I would live to be 124. I'm just saying that ain't happening, okay? So I'm beyond the middle-aged thing, but I don't know what I think of middle-aged. Someone would say David is experiencing a middle-aged crisis. He sent the men off to war. He sent the army off. He sent Joab off. They're off fighting the battle. They're engaged with the enemy. What's David doing? He's got spare time at home. Let me tell you something. Stay moving forward. I don't care if you're 85 or 90. The healthy people I know that are elderly do not stop. Keep moving forward. Not only keep moving forward, stay busy. It's one thing to go for a walk. It's another one thing to be busy on that walk. David had spare time, and that spare time did not help him. And for whatever reason, he just didn't feel like going off to war. I don't blame him. I don't either. I have found procrastination is a disease that once you start procrastinating, procrastination never accomplished a thing. Write it down. You don't get a thing done while you're procrastinating, and what you procrastinate on only gets harder to do when you finally get to it. David was procrastinating at home, not doing what he, wanted to, what he knew to do, was to go off and lead his army... He sent it away. They're doing what they do, successful at it. He's home, spare time. For some reason, maybe he's overtired. Maybe something's happened. The Bible says in evening tide, he got up from bed. Evening time is at sunset. There's still a little light out. He's been in bed during the day. I don't know. But he gets up and he walks on the roof. You have to figure the palace has the highest roof in town. And he can look down on other rooftops and things going on. He looked at that particular time. He looked down and he sees a woman taking a bath. And she's gorgeous. Men, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it also says, flee fornication. In other words, you and I have a better chance fighting Satan mano a mano, man to man, than to look at something. Micah and I do not coordinate our announcements or anything, but I think it was spot on. He just happened to mention pornography this morning. And I, it, you cannot 
handle. God did not wire us to be able to flee for it. You see something like that, don't sit there, don't ponder, don't think. You get out of town. Run, run, run. You can't handle it. God wired us in a specific way, men. Ladies might not be able to re- re- relate to this, but a man cannot look at that situation, ponder it, think about it, and move forward with it without making a disastrous mistake. David looked. I, I wrote in my Bible, he looked, he lusted, he laid, and he lied. He looked. Then he says, hey, who's, who's the woman who lives next door? Well, isn't that Uriah's wife, Bathsheba? Hmm. You would think once he heard that someone's wife. No. See, he was the king. He was used to getting whatever he wanted. He wasn't saying no to himself. Another good lesson, guys, ladies, is sometimes we ought not to have what we want, whether we can have it or not. He could have whatever he wanted. And I'll bet you he had gotten into a pattern of taking whatever he wanted. He had multiple wives. He didn't, he didn't lack for female companionship. That was a huge mistake right there. But he wanted more. See, I'm told, now I won't go there, but he wanted more. So he sent for her. She comes over. They do the deed. She goes home. David, how'd that go for you? I bet you that left him empty. I bet that wasn't satisfying. I have no way of knowing. Word comes back. Oh, king, I'm with child. Okay, we got to fix this. So he sends for Uriah to come back and give him a report of the battle. He sends him back with some DoorDash to his wife. and said, here, go have a meal with your wife. Go back to Joab in the morning. He didn't. I thought it was very interesting... If you obviously, we can't go into all the details here, but and David couldn't say what verse 10. And they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house. David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And here's this man's answer. And he said, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest, as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. He looked right at the king and said, I won't do what you're doing. I'm going to go fight with my men. You can stay here and sleep all you want to. Now, he didn't say that, but David had to read between the lines. He was not willing to do, character-wise, what David was doing as the king. So, he tries to get him drunk. He wouldn't go down. He had more character drunk than David had sober. So, what's he do? He writes a letter to Joab, says, here... Put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle and back up from him so that he'll be killed. He hands that note to Uriah, and Uriah delivers his own death sentence. He goes and into battle. Joab obeys his orders. You'll notice that not only was Uriah killed, but several others as well. So David wasn't responsible for just the death of Uriah. He was also death, was responsible for collateral damage of other soldiers that died in the plan. 
There's other details that we can talk about. Finally, Nathan the prophet confronts him. Says, you have taken something that did not belong to you. When he goes into this story about being a shepherd and two sheep and you and all of this stuff. And you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's very interesting. And he looked at him and he said, thou art the man, David, that has done these things. And God's going to require some things from you. You know, Christians, sometimes when we recognize a loved one that is endeavoring or or going into sin, or practicing something that ought not to be taking place, and you know it to be true, and he knows it to be true, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is look at them and say, that is wrong, you are wrong, God cannot bless that, that has to stop. But in today's society, we're so afraid of offending someone or bothering someone. You know what? The gospel says that the Bible, Jesus Christ himself, can be a rock of offense. Did you ever hit your head on a rock? Did you ever walk into a beam that didn't move? I've spent, I've spent years in cellars. I've walked into everything that exists. Should be wearing a hard hat. They don't move. You know what? That's what I've literally grabbed my hammer, drawn off, and nailed something that I've walked into. It still didn't move. I felt better though. (laughs) So that can be the offense of the gospel at times. Christians can be offensive at times, but I'll tell you what sometimes we need to address something in love and say the truth in love, as the Bible says, and that's what Nathan did. So let's go back now to our text this morning. You can see the story. The baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with was born and died. And uh, they lost that child. And it's, it's just the whole thing is very... You know, the Bible does not paint a perfect picture of following the Lord. It shows all the warts, all the fails, if you will. Don't you think for a second you have to live a perfect Christian life for God to bless you or for you to be able to be part of God's family? We are all sinners saved by grace. This church is right full of wounded people. This is a hospital for the spiritually sick. There is no condition you could be in that we're, we're not interested in you. And the fact is, there's nothing Stan Griffin, as the pastor of this church, can do for you. There's nothing Pastor Mark, Pastor Sean, fill in the blank, our worship leader. There's nothing we can do for you, but we can point you to someone who can do great things. And his name is Jesus, and he changes lives. But for that change to take place, there's kind of an outline in Psalm 51 that the whole point of this story is is that Satan wants to steal your peace and joy. And let me tell you something. The greatest joy robber in the Christian life is sin in your life. Practicing sin in your life. Unwilling to change. And I'm going to give you four things very quickly for you to get. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We sing the song, if you're happy and you know it. You know, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen. And I'm hoping that that would be us, that we're happy and we know it. 
because we're living for the Lord. Psalm 51, 1 through 3, very quickly. I'll go over this and we'll be done. So, he says, have mercy upon me, wash me thoroughly. Verse number 3 is the key, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Number 1, admit your guilt. The greatest thing you can do is admit that you are wrong. Oh, we just love doing that, don't we? Oh, man. Someone comes up to you, and she, you know, a teacher in school. You know, they've out in some schools now, I don't know about the local schools, but I've read it in the national news. Some schools do not allow teachers to use red ink when correcting papers because that's too offensive to the child. I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. Because when they see that red mark, that just hurts their little spirit. I'll tell you what, my parents never met these people. Because that paddle on my backside sure hurt my little spirit. They hadn't met Dr. Spock yet. And all the, the wise things that were supposed to help you raise kids. Anyway, I digress. Number one, admit your guilt. David was walking. He, he, he says in Psalm 51 that his bones are hurting. There was a sorrow he was carrying while he was trying to cover all this thing up. And it was killing him. Number one, admit your guilt. Number two, recognize who you offended against thee. David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You know, you would think, by golly, he certainly sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. I'll tell you what. You can say, well, you know, it takes two. I put the onus on the man. Ladies, you can have the day off as far as I'm concerned. It takes a man to put himself where he should not be or where he should be. Yes, she said yes to him. He was the king. Now, I have no idea. Someone, we can speculate on a lot of different things. I don't care. I'm saying David never should have gone there. He sinned against her, but David recognizes our first offense is not to one another, it's to God Almighty. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done such great evil in thy sight. Recognize who you've offended. Number one, admit your guilt. Number two, recognize who you've offended. You've offended God Almighty. Number three. Verses 5 and 6, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin, that my mother conceived me. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. You need to be speaking the truth, not half-truth. Agree with God. What happens is we can justify what we're doing. Guys justify pornography because they're... Their wife isn't really satisfying like they should. So, you know, just so that I won't be unfaithful, I'll just do this, and it'll, it'll, it'll help me. No, no, no. That's wrong. That's garbage. That's a lie. You're lying to yourself. You have to speak the truth. David had to own it. He finally had to admit, oh, my word, what have I done? I was wrong. Not half truth, all truth. Unless a couple is willing to recognize what they are doing wrong in their relationship, the biggest time waster in the ministry, if I can be so candid, is a couple that wants us to fix their marriage but will not admit what they are doing in their marriage is wrong. 
And so they come in. They lie to me. They lie to Mark. They lie to whoever. They want to say what we think we should hear or what they're willing to admit. Unless you're willing to come totally clean, you can't be fixed. We don't even fix a car part without washing it first. You know car. You're something special made by God Almighty. Years ago, I, t- I, don't, I rarely tell stories in this church that happened in this church because you folks would be like me and try to think, well, I wonder who that was. Was that so-and-so, whatever? This was a long time ago, a long time ago, okay? There was a couple in church, and this guy decided that he enjoyed writing love notes to other married women. I'm not making this up. Who would think that? Obviously, his wife did not own a gun. But anyway. <laughs> so um, she got wind of this. His wife got wind of this. This was very hurtful to her. You think? So, come in with a session. And the problem that he had was he was, well, I was just, I'm just, these girls, they just want to feel good. And so I write him these notes. It's not that big a deal. He was unwilling to admit what he was doing was wrong. It was bad. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him, huh? Really? Amazing. But you know what? We have all tried to justify our sin. Don't you look at me like you've never... We have all tried to justify our sin. If you want to come clean, you agree with God it is wrong. And there's something powerful about agreeing with God. Because when you do that, it seems to break the the chain that's got you. Now, every now and then when I'm tempted to do something, I just remind myself, no, Stan, you agreed with God that that was wrong. We don't do that. We meaning me. (laughs) No, but me. I don't do that. Why? Because I agreed with God. It helps tremendously. Now, does it mean you won't fall again, but you agreed? Then you re-agree. And there's something, and, and I'll tell you, you can be an overcomer. So, obviously, admit your guilt. Recognize who you've offended. Truth, not half-truth. Verse number seven. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. David knew it, and he asked for it. If you want forgiveness, you need to ask. And if you are sincere, then I'm telling you, God Almighty can change your life. Hide my face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take thy Holy Spirit from me. That was Old Testament. That can't happen in New Testament. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. We've taken the time to talk about David this morning because I want you to know that your peace and joy cannot happen in your life if you are trying to live for the world and for the Lord. You cannot serve God and mammon. Sweet water and bitter cannot come out of the same fountain. You either live for the Lord or you don't. And if you are unwilling to live for the Lord, you will never appreciate, understand, or enjoy the peace and joy that only God can provide. I'll close with this. Every now and then, if you 
ever go to a new car lot. I just want you to know, sitting on the dealership lots are better cars than what you are presently driving. It's just, it's unavoidable. It's true. So I stay away from those places. But if you do, the salesman will come in a Ford, Chevrolet, Subaru, Toyota. Now, it can't happen with a Toyota, but other cars. They would, so they would say, why don't you just get in this car and just drive it? You don't have to, no obligation, just drive it. Why? Because they want you to appreciate what a brand new vehicle, and they know this is a better vehicle than what you're driving. Why? Because this one's new and yours is not. The second you drive off the lot, yours is a used vehicle. If you want a new vehicle, pay for it and leave it there. Because if you drive it off, it's used. You can't come to church and say, I've got a new vehicle. No, that's used now. See how long it lasts? But when you get in, you can appreciate the quality that that dealership provides. And I want you to know that God Almighty runs the greatest dealership that ever existed. He takes old and makes it brand new. And you can be brand new in Christ. How does it happen? You've got to admit that you're a sinner. You've got to own it. You've got to ask God to forgive you. And then you can start experiencing the peace and joy that only God can provide. And if you've experienced, listen to me, if, if, if you've experienced God's peace and joy and you know it to be true, say amen. amen. Heavenly Father.